0: As we continue the Be Rich campaign and the series and the emphasis, I really enjoy seeing that video every week. I know a lot of the people, that their faces, I know the story of their life, and it's really just great to be able to see them take that story and impact others in the way that they do. It's, it's really just a cool part about being part of the church family, so I celebrate that. Remind you of a couple things as well. Again, you heard the note about the veterans service on Tuesday night, Veterans Day, 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. I hope you'll come to that. Uh, And if you have a young person, a child, a grandchild, bring them. Uh, We're actually going to give them a small gift, each child who's here, going to give them a small American flag. But uh, we celebrate uh, how they might know and grow uh, about the veterans we have in our church, especially the four veterans who are sharing their story along with great music, worship music, and patriotic music here with our choir and others. Uh, They're going to tell, it's the story of people among you telling their story In a remarkable way, I think. You need to hear those stories. World War II and Korea, uh, Vietnam, as well as the most recent uh, wars that continue. And so it's important. I hope you'll come and join us on that one. Next weekend is also our commitment weekend. We encourage people to turn in their estimate of giving cards. If you don't have one, they're in the pews. Also, we have a packet that shares more about what this is with the Be Rich book by Andy Stanley, along with information about the campaign itself and the cards and envelopes. And if you don't have yours or you misplace yours, which I do sometimes, they're also available at the back. We have many left. So pick one of those up and please bring that next week. And if you're worship online normally, no, you can make your commitment online. And so I think it's pretty cool as well. In fact, many in our church now do that online. And that's a great way of being able to go there and do that very quickly. And that's that commitment's made immediately. So we'll say more about that next weekend. But today, though, we're looking at resetting wealth around the words of Jesus here in Matthew 6, 25 through 35. And I want to ask a question. Feeling wealthy, what does it take for us to feel wealthy? How do you, how do you, how do you measure wealth? What what's a qualifier? I said, this is wealth, this is not. I went to a a dinner uh, years ago. Our first year, we went to Africa and Zimbabwe, and we began our Zoe ministry there. Our first $10,000 gift was given there. We've we've given almost a million dollars since, which I think is very exciting. But we gave there to a school, and that funded their food supply for a year. $10,000 fed about 200 kids. That's remarkable to be able to do that. But so at the end of the week, after we did medical care for a week, uh, taught the kids, spent time with the kids, uh, they, the teachers there, educators there had a meal for us. We were, not, we were surprised by that, but they had a meal for us. And they took us back to a room where it was all set up, and they wore their best clothes, which, is, which was basically for the men, a tie and white shirt and slacks and, and shoes, and, and women all wore nice dresses who were there with us. About 15 of us all together having that meal. And here's what they served us. They served us uh, what's called sudsa. And sudsa is a corn byproduct meal. It absolutely tastes to me like uh, ground-up styrofoam. <laughs> I mean, really, it's almost inedible to us. But they eat it every day. It's their, st- it's their staple of their food there in that part of Zimbabwe. They also fed us uh, some kind of uh, little small... Uh, p- nut kind of thing. They cut some of the term for it. And they had there with us, the, the African district superintendent was there to mark our being present. And he told me on the side, uh, this is baboon food, which is baboon in Texan, but it's baboon in African. Uh, and that's what they eat. And we eat the same thing here. And so, okay. And then they fed us one chicken which was really a free-range chicken, not like we think free-range chickens are, not Pilgrim's Pride, it's a chicken that had been exercising a lot all of its life. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it was really almost impossible, mean, literally almost impossible to chew the little bit of meat you had divided up by 15 people. And that was their best meal. That was putting everything, in. that was Thanksgiving for them when we came to share in that out that long away from the city place we were eating at. And I will tell you right there, I could easily have felt like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. I mean, I'm wealthy to the high, high degree compared to those Africans there in that Zimbabwean school. Now, a short time ago, I went to another event here in Texas that was at one of the hotels in Dallas. The reason I went was that I'm on a hospital board because the board requires that a Methodist preacher be on it because it's a Methodist hospital, and so that's why I'm on that. That's the only reason, I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, And so I'm on that board, uh, and when I went to this special event, it was trustees and leadership from hospitals all over Texas, especially the fundraisers and those who also give the high dollars to many of those hospitals. We're talking millions of dollars, billions of dollars given, and it's an amazing way to support hospitals, and they need that. It's an important gift that they give. So when we drove up, my wife and I drove up there, we, we parked our little RAV4 amongst the more expensive cars. You name what you thought they are, that's what they were there. And I told Rhonda, hope my car's not a shame being out here among all these big cars, but it's where I went. We went in the door, and, and Rhonda and I still are still uncomfortable, really, in those types of events. We just don't feel like we fit. I mean, you know, you know we just didn't grow up that way, and it's not where our life has been. And so I always feel out of place, like maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe they're going to catch me. They're going to catch me. You shouldn't be here. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's how that event was. So there I could feel very easily very poor. If life is only about money and stuff, Zimbabwe, I'm rich. You know, if life is about money and stuff, well, in Dallas, I'm poor. Well, what exactly is the qualifier for wealth? How do you measure wealth? And think about what Jesus said. And I say it often, Jesus knows what he's talking about. We just don't listen. You heard Dennis read those words beautifully. I'm telling you, the Lord knows what he's talking about. We just don't listen very well. I want you to listen today. I believe this is a very life-changing message. Happiness, and a recent survey was done about happiness scores of the richest Americans. That means they went to, took, went to those who make the most money, did a survey of those people, and discovered they have about the same level of, of happiness, whatever you think happiness is, as the Maasai tribe in Africa, one of the poorest tribes in, Afri- in, in Africa and the world. Uh, they live there uh, with no electricity and no running water. Of course, the richest Americans, you know how they live and that they were pretty much the same. And we discovered by that same survey, and you probably know this, is American economic strength has increased in recent decades, and it has. No matter what you might think, the living standard in America the last 50 years has risen astronomically compared to what it was just 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 80 years ago, certainly 100 years ago. It's very high today. Yet as that has risen, there is absolutely no rise in in life satisfaction. That's what the survey said. They used that term, life satisfaction. In fact, just the opposite has proven to be true. There's an increase in, this is what the survey suggested, in depression and distrust. Uh, I think it's odd they picked those two terms out of uh, the survey, but it says as economic strength has increased... Depression and distrust has increased equally so. While there are more bigger homes, bigger cars, more appliances, more vacations, at any time in human history, in the history of this world, in this country, there's an equal rise in depression, distrust, obesity, heart attacks, divorces, and suicides. Maybe we're working for, looking for, and living for the wrong things. Now, I care about money, I believe it's important. I save money, I set aside money, I have an emergency fund, I have a retirement funds. So I care about that. But maybe we are working for looking for and living for the wrong things. In fact, nationally, we measure American wealth by the GDP, the gross domestic product. Maybe we are measuring the wrong thing. You think about that. Maybe we are measuring the wrong thing. How do you measure your wealth? Whether for you, you're just getting started and you have very little. Are you retired for a while and come close to outliving living your money? Are you one of these who have a whole bunch? Or you're still having a good economic income by your job? I don't know where you are, I know where I am. But how do we measure our wealth? Heard what Jesus said? I'm gonna to add to it here. And the first point that I want to share today on your message page will also be on the screen for you to see. Jesus addresses the motive many have for how they handle life, money, and their relationships, and that's anxiety and fear. That most Americans, I believe, measure, they evaluate, they handle their life, money, and money. And relationships out of a motivation of worry, anxiety, and fear. I see it all the time. They make their decisions, they make their choices, they live their lives based upon those things that drive them. And that's not the motivation Jesus wants us to live by. That it creates an unbalanced life, a life where fear and worry dominate more and more a pattern that will take the joy out of life more and more, where enough is never enough, where someone who is not happy with what they have will not be happy with what they get, we must find another reason for handling life, money, and relationships. What did Jesus say? Again, he knows what he's talking about. He said, love your God, all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. He also said, I want you to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth no rust is not corrupt and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you know what he's talking about? I believe that he does. And so hear those words. What are we motivated by? My grandmother lived to be 96, 97 years of age. We all got to talk to her over the phone. We found out she was dying and she was able to talk just shortly before she passed away. What a great to be able to do that for your grandmother and her to us as she's approaching death. And my grandmother had a unique way of living, and she she raised her kids during the depression. The depression always marked her life. She never could escape it, never was able to overcome the anxiety and fear her life experience gave her. Sometimes our life experiences do put us in a place like that. Sometimes our culture tells us we should live that way. Sometimes advertisers push us to be afraid and to worry all the time. We find ourselves in that cat. And she was that way. She couldn't help it. Uh, one of the things that we enjoy, we got to do was when our kids were probably teenagers, and we had one who was maybe seven or eight years old, we got to go visit my grandmother in Massachusetts. And visiting her there and her home, uh, we went out, and she wanted to buy a chair for my grandfather who had Parkinson's disease. So he had had it for 30 years, had great difficulty getting around, being comfortable, and the chair he'd sat in for years. The springs had come out of it and were poking out the bottom. Now, my grandmother was relatively wealthy financially because she never spent any money. You know, over uh, 97 years, you build up a money supply but you don't ever spend any. And so, her house, she had a lot of money. She could buy whatever she wanted. She could buy her neighbor's houses if she wanted to uh, and lived in a very nice home herself. But she wasn't going to buy a chair. She, so, she said, I want you to go with me. And so, we went to pick out a chair for Grandpa. And she found a very nice Leather chair, uh, very nice, relatively expensive leather chair. He sat down in it, and we asked him, what do you think, Grandpa? Grandpa was probably almost 80 at that time. And he said, super. from Massachusetts now. He meant super in Texas. Uh, but it's "supa" there in Massachusetts. He said, "Supa," And so we bought the chair. And she said, now you go, this is her term, now you go tell the rest of my family I'm not as much of a skinflint as they say that I am. Anybody under 40, that means tightwad or whatever term you want to use for uh, not having a, 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 not willing to spend money. She couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. In other words, she was still saving money at 96 for her old age (laughs) because she was afraid and she was anxious and she never could get past that. And we loved my grandmother. Love my grandma. Think about her all the time. Love my grandpa. Think about him all the time. And I understand that kind of life. You may be like that. Your parents may be that way or been that way. Your grandparents maybe were that way because, again, those experiences drove how they understood their life instead of what Jesus says just faith and trust. Matthew 6 34a, second point. Jesus offers a solution. Thank you, Lord, to the anxious, fear ridden life. And the solution is this seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. One of His commands, do not worry. Do not worry. Now, I want you to think about these words very carefully today. This is, God, this is God's solution for you. Seek His kingdom first and how it changes our lives so dramatically if we choose to do that. Okay? Now, one of the things that I hate to do, I've always I hate it with a literal anxiety-producing passion. And that is, I hate buying a new car. I hate going to a dealership to do that. My wife loves going to buy new cars and go to the dealership. She likes that, but I do not like it. I will do anything to avoid that. My most recent purchase that I, that I bought was a Honda Fit for myself to drive. I like spending money, I love my grandmother that way anyway. I don't want to spend a lot of money on my car that I drive. And so I went for as uh, cheapest I could find, which was a Honda Fit that I thought would last a long time. And I found that I could do that online today. This is three years ago. And so I typed into a website. It went out to all the dealerships in our area. They sent me their best price on a Honda Fit, and I said, that's the one. It's the right price, the right car, at the right, at the, at the right moment. That's the one I want. And so I emailed back, I want your car. I said, come by so-and-so day. I drove up there. There it is. I signed the papers, gave him the money, and I walk out with the car. I like that. I love that. Now, I'm not telling you to do it that way. But what I'm telling you is I knew what I wanted exactly, and I didn't want all the stuff that went around. I just want that car. I have a clear focus. This is what I'm going to do and how much I want to pay for it, what color that I want, and there it is. And I'm, I drive it today and drive it all the time. What do you want? To change your life, hear me now, you have to change what you're looking for. If you're looking for the same thing, you can't ever change your life. They go together. Jesus said that. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. To change your life, you have to change what you're looking for. You have to be intentional about it, and Jesus tells us how to do that. Seek the kingdom of God first. doesn't mean he doesn't care about other things. We have to make sure we pay our bills. We have to make our house payment. We have to have retirement funds. We have to pay our medical bills. We have to go to the grocery store We could even get to go on vacation sometime. We just got back from one not long ago to Massachusetts. The question, though, is what is the first thing that we seek in our life? It it takes everything, falls into place if we choose to seek the right thing. If we make the right decision, if we choose the right thing, the kingdom of God, it is well with my soul. Is that what you're looking for? to be able to sit down somewhere at a table with a meal, maybe Thanksgiving, and make your way to a hospital to get a test result in, and to check out where the stock market is. If that's a concern to you, it's not of most people in the world, but it is those who have a little bit of money. You know, what is it for you? Or is it, it is well with my soul, everything is just fine. You know, is that what you seek? It'll change you if it is. And Jesus knows what he's talking about. He says, I want you all to seek God's kingdom first. And God's righteousness and everything else will fall into place. And This is what I think it means. If you live for the kingdom of God and the way of life Christ offers, you will experience everything you really need. And boy, what an important thing to consider in my life. What I really need, I will experience and also have. Maybe more sometime, but never less. That's the promise of God. John Bonelli says this about that. When you give yourself first to the Lord, all other giving is easy. As we qualify what wealth is, as we measure what wealth is. You know, we can easily uh, write down what we consider uh, the wealth that we have as financially. We can add those numbers up, come up with some kind of number and say, okay, here's where I am with this, uh, this stage, that stage, that stage. We can all pretty much do that. But can we measure how we've given ourselves to God and all of the giving becomes easy and begin saying, no, I'm going to measure wealth a new way, which is not the money that I have, but what I do with the money that I have, which is what Andy Stanley says. It's not how much money you have, it's what you do with the money you have. And so we're changing how we think about our own life, faith, God, being a Christian, our money, our commitments, and everything else in our life by simply accepting this as true, God's truth for us, and that is that I measure my wealth and my generosity. And and how I spend my money. And the Bible says He gives us all good things to enjoy. It means we can spend money on things that we enjoy and we had a good time with that, but also, generosity and how that is played out. And there's multiple levels of what generosity is. Making a commitment to the church this weekend, or next weekend, is an important part of that, but also how else we're generous as well, and how we see that's wealth. That's wealth for me. Okay, the next thing. Worry, as Jesus points out, robs life of its beauty and causes us to miss life's joy. And boy, that is such a phenomenal American thing, so unique to this country, because we want so much. And we're told we have to have all that to be happy. Then when we get it, we find out we're not as happy as the Messiah tribe in Africa who has nothing. Wait a minute, what's wrong with that picture? We didn't listen to Jesus. That's not what he said. Jesus said, seek God's kingdom first, and then you'll be happy. See, my kingdom first. Now, I want you to think about the story uh, here where Jesus teaches this. People had come to hear him uh, hear, share the Sermon on the Mount. As they came to hear, they came for many different reasons. They wanted to hear what he had to say, yes. He'd also work miracles. Maybe they'd see one. Maybe they'd experience one. Uh, He he calmed the sea and the storm. Jesus was well-known at this point. Everybody wanted to hear what Jesus had to say or see him and nothing else. So they came. And when they came, Jesus does this. He stops. Now, the crowd who heard him were made up of two primary groups. The largest group by far was those in poverty. In that culture, most lived in abject poverty, uh, like uh, the Zimbabwean uh, group that I told you about. That's how poor they were. But there were also those who were extremely wealthy because that culture didn't have middle class like we do today. They had the poor and the rich, no one else. That's the some way that it worked in those years. And he stops and says, I want you to do something. First, I don't want you to worry. I want you to stop worrying. I want you to consider this. This is what he says. Consider the birds of the air. Consider as they, as they fly over, they're out there by the Sea of Galilee. Lots of birds there. Water birds uh, as, as well as land birds were there. And I've been there and we've seen those birds. They're all over the place. I want you to consider the birds. You know, think about how, how they are and how they live and how they understand life. They know what they need. And that's all they want. You know, that's birds. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit of what, what might have gone on there. Now, I want you to just consider the grass of the field. Look how beautiful it is. Green, and you may not realize that around the Sea of Galilee, it's beautiful. It's green, and trees, and palm trees, and olive trees. Not at all what you might think Israel is. It's beautiful, and green, flowers everywhere, especially certain seasons of the earth like that. It's just green. Uh, and now I want you to consider the lilies. Even Solomon, who would be considered the richest man Israel had ever seen, uh, not even Solomon's clothes like these lilies around you. I want you to think about the the beauty of these things, the beauty of these flowers, the beauty of this green, the beauty of uh, of life itself, and and worry robs life of its beauty and causes us to miss life's joy. The beauty of life the beauty of God, the beauty of creation, the beauty of salvation. It's giving us a different way to live, to think, to feel, to process through life. And I tell my grandma the story, and I love my grandma so much. I mean, she could make strawberry shortcake like nobody's business. You know, my grandma could. We loved her. But I, but I saw the fear and anxiety that drove her until she was 96, and she never could get past her experiences of the past robbed her of the joy of the present. You know, and, and I understand that. Uh, she had, they struggled so much in the Depression, uh, trying to, to, take, to live on a dairy. I know where that comes from. We all have our foundations of our living, but we're supposed to move our foundation to faith and trust, God's kingdom and God. What is beautiful? What is beautiful to you? What is beauty of life? Worry robs life, but it's beauty, causes us to miss life's joy. I don't want that for you, neither does Jesus. Well, finally, be rich with what you have, and you'll be rich with what you get. You can't wait for wealth to come. (laughs) Wealth is what I must decide I have right now. Say, I now measure wealth in this way, and I am wealthy. My money may increase to millions of dollars down the road. Maybe that, maybe that now. It may never reach that level. But still, I am wealthy. It's resetting wealth. It's reevaluating what makes someone rich, not by the gross domestic product, but something else. And I'm closing now. Maybe we should measure our wealth by generosity. How generous I'm able to be in small ways or big ways, depending on where you come from. In my time, uh, myself, What I do, also what I give, is that how I measure wealth. Is it by my relationships that I measure wealth that way? If I do, maybe that's what I'm going to look for, what I'm going to invest in, what I'm going to spend time creating relationships with family and and friends and church family, the world I live in, and and build that. Maybe I'll, I'll recognize that wealth is beauty. It's the beauty around, the beauty of the very life that I have right now sitting here in this service today, the beauty of the world around us, and, and Scott pointed out what beautiful Christmas day we have, the beauty of that, the grass and the birds and the, and the lilies of the field, but also the beauty of the child that we have in our family are blessed to have, or the beauty of the world we live in, or the beauty of so many things you might qualify life around beauty, are the beauty of God, the beauty of salvation, The beauty of what it is to have God as our Heavenly Father. The beauty of belonging to Almighty God. Seek God's kingdom first. And the beauty of purpose. Think about measuring life by purpose. The purpose God has for us because life does not exist without a purpose. Purpose is what makes life life. And we have a purpose that God gives us and it begins and ends with what Jesus said. Seek God's kingdom first. And God's righteousness and everything that matters is going to be added to you. And don't worry. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the words you give us. And Lord, help us listen to them. Help us hear them more than just right now in church when we get home and tomorrow morning and throughout our life. We have to admit, God, that often our motive for what we do is fear and anxiety. God, we want to change that. We want it to be peace and trust. God, we may, often we seek for things that really don't satisfy us at all, but we keep on seeking, waiting for that miracle to happen somehow, some way. But today, God, we choose to seek you as our Heavenly Father and the life you give us, salvation you offer, and the life you call us to live. That's our prayer, God, today in, your, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.